Hey, good evening, Summit Church. It's great to see you here tonight. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, glad you could join us as we continue through Advent. I'm going to say up front, we in the Metzger household, we love Christmas. Uh, this is one of our favorite times of the year. We absolutely love it. Unashamedly, it's just uh, the way we do it. Uh, and in fact, this year, I literally set a household record. Uh, I had our Christmas lights up in October. It's true. It's true. It was a sunny weekend in October, and I thought, this would be a great time to put up our Christmas lights. And, uh, and so I did it. Our neighbors gave us strange looks. I didn't even care. Uh, we literally had Christmas music playing while Angela was finishing the Halloween costumes for our kids uh, that night. It was beautiful, and I love it, and we just love this time of year. The traditions, the decorations, the giant tree in our lobby, which let me go ahead and set the record here for all of us. Yes, we cut it down ourselves. Uh, Yes, we, uh, we took a trailer to bring it down the mountain. Uh, it is 28 feet tall total, okay? I think those are the most popular questions we get every single Sunday all through Advent. So I just want to let you know about those things, okay? So you don't have to ask at all tonight. Uh, we love this time of the year. We think it's one of the greatest seasons. Yet, at the same time, uh, as many of you know, and as we as a church, we try to just genuinely acknowledge and recognize as much as we love this Advent season, as much as we love celebrating Christmas as a church family, we also know that there's something about this season, something about this time of year that for some of us is unusually difficult, right? For a lot of different reasons, too. For some of you, this was an incredibly painful year. I mean, some of you just walked through really, really difficult things. Some of you walked through substantial loss, some of you face certain things that you never, ever anticipated facing this year. And gosh, it's just been a really, really hard year for some of you. Some of you are in the thick of that right now as we speak. You know, this is the really interesting thing about Advent. This is even the really interesting thing about uh, the Christmas story, particularly here in Matthew's account that we're looking at tonight, because I'm really convinced. The more I've just spent time in his, this, I've become really convinced that this story is intended to speak directly to all of us, regardless of where you're at. Like for those of you who are able to fully enjoy this season for all that it is and all of the fanfare, and you're doing well right now as we celebrate and as we decorate and as, as you give thanks, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a, that's a great thing that you, know, you should be thankful for. Yet, yet, there's something as Christians, something about the Advent season that's intended to almost ground us a little bit. It's bringing reality back into focus reminding us of what this season is truly all about. And for those of you who are struggling today, if this is a tough season for you, here's the good news. The birth of Jesus meets you exactly where you're at as well. In fact, you and your current situation, you probably have more in common with the first Christmas than you care to think. You can probably relate so well with the circumstances surrounding the Christmas story that you will, I hope, find this story this evening strangely comforting, even in the midst of a really, really difficult time. Why? Why? Why is it that the birth of Jesus can both ground some of us while simultaneously lifting up others of us? Well, I think Matthew gives us two reasons tonight, two things that I think the birth of Jesus does for all of us, regardless of where you're at tonight. First, it gives you permission to be afraid. And secondly, it tells you why you ultimately don't have to be afraid. 
It gives you permission to be afraid, and then it tells you ultimately why you don't have to be. So wherever you are tonight, whether you're thriving or barely surviving or somewhere there in the middle, my hope is that that will let the birth of Christ shape us exactly how we need to be shaped tonight. Whether that's grounding you a little bit during this season to refocus on the centrality of Jesus or lifting you up to be comforted by the grace of Jesus That's where we're going tonight as we see what Matthew tells us about the birth of Christ. Sound good? All right, that's what we're going to do. So first, the birth of Jesus, it gives us permission to be afraid. Now, I'm going to say up front, this is a scary story. Now, it doesn't feel like a scary story because everything happens so quickly, and we tend to sentimentalize, like Brian just said a moment ago, we tend to sentimentalize the Christmas story so much that it just becomes cute and classic. But I want you just to try and imagine, as we read through this story tonight, I want you to try to imagine what it must have been like. I want you to just imagine what it must have felt like if you were Mary or if you were Joseph, you were walking through these circumstances. I want you to try to imagine that as we read this story, even just starting at verse 18 with me. Turn back to verse 18, if you have your Bible in front of you, or it will be on the screen behind me. Matthew says in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, stop right there. There's a lot happening in these first few verses. First, we see that Mary is betrothed to Joseph, which means they're not married yet, but this is also more than just how we generally view engagement today. I mean, you get engaged today, and you're generally saying to somebody, uh, I want to marry you, I plan to marry you, I hope you don't change your mind in the next 6, 12, 18 months. But if you do, I mean, it's okay. It's not like there are any legal ramifications. You might lose a deposit or a ring, but you're not going to court, right? In this scenario, in this culture, Betrothal was a legally binding contract and could only be broken by a formal process of divorce. So it'd be a real legal concern. And now on top of that legal concern, I know this is going to seem a little bit strange to us today, uh, but you have to remember, you have to remember that throughout almost, really throughout almost all of history and really around the entire globe, cultures, worldwide, if you think about it, I mean, it's a really uncommon thing historically for people to wait as long as we tend to wait today to get married. Oh, you recognize this, right? Like in most cultures around the world and even historically, in most cultures, a lot of times you, you, see, you see women getting married in their early teens, men getting married in their later teens, maybe early 20s. And so if that's the case, if Mary was following the, the tradition of the day, Mary was likely 13, maybe 14 years old at this point. I mean, can you imagine this? Going before the judicial system as a 14-year-old, your life in their hands, and if that's not frightening enough, going before a judicial system in that region of the world at that time in history, like how do you imagine that typically turning out? Especially given the fact that Mary's pregnant, and Joseph is not the father, the Holy Spirit is, which try telling that to a judge. I mean, that's what we see happen, though, in verse 18. When, when, look at it. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, meaning they had not yet had sex. They were waiting until marriage, and she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Mary's a virgin. But by the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit and through her faith, she's now responsible for carrying the Son of God. This is why we say Jesus is both truly God and truly man, divinely conceived of the Holy Spirit, naturally born of a woman. Again, imagine this. Just, just try to imagine an unwed, with child, 14 years old, carrying the Son of God, promised Savior of the world. I mean, does that feel frightening to anybody else? 
Think about the implications of that for just a moment. If you're married, what are your options? By law, you've seemingly committed adultery, which could be punishable by death, but even if it isn't, you're a single teen mom now who has the pros- no prospect of provision, security, safety, anything like that, which means you generally resort to just about anything, literally anything, to ensure your survival. If you're Joseph, imagine, you're engaged to someone. And a few weeks before the wedding, you find out that she's pregnant, and you know for a fact, I had nothing to do with this at all. And what do you do? Because you know in that moment, your next step could very much determine the destiny of not just one person, but two, a mother and her child. That's scary, isn't it? Like for everyone involved, you see, Matthew here is making no attempt to diminish or dismiss the frightening reality of all this. The circumstances, the risk, he's trying to get us to feel the very real fear surrounding this whole thing because there's just something about fear that we we can all relate to. There's something about fear that's pretty familiar to all of us in one way or another. You know, as a parent myself, dealing with fear is a pretty regular responsibility, whether it's uh, a fear as a parent and just all the different fears that accompany parenthood and raising kids and making sure you're doing it well, uh, but also just dealing with the fears of your children. And, uh, and, and the different various fears that they express on a daily basis. You know, as a kid, you just imagine, think about it. A kid, uh, think about how many new things a child tries, like in the first five or ten years of their life. It's a lot, right? It's like almost every day they're doing something new, and that's kind of scary. And so you imagine just compounding that day after day. I was reminded of that just a few weeks ago, because a few weeks ago, uh, it was my kids' fall break at school. And, uh, and for fall break, we took a road trip to South Dakota, which I know sounds like a very strange place to take a road trip to, but uh, it's one of our family traditions that every single fall break, we go on a secret family road trip. It's a surprise. My kids have no idea where they're going until they get into the car that morning. My wife doesn't even have any idea until maybe the night before or two when I tell her, and it's great. It's one of my favorite traditions that we do every fall break, and we just get in the car, and we go, and this year we went to South Dakota, and uh, saw Mount Rushmore and some national parks. It was great. Well, while we were there, here's the thing. We were staying at a hotel that had an indoor water park attached to it. All right? Everything you would imagine with a water park. It had the slides, the lazy river, everything. It was so great. But the best thing about this water park was there was, like, literally no rules. Like, no rules at all. It, it, it was amazing. Like, you get there. I think there was, like, two lifeguards on duty the whole time. One was folding towels. The other one was on a cell phone. And so it was like, all right, I guess we're up to our own, you know? And uh, I, I kid you not, um, one of the tallest slides, at the bottom of the slide, there was actually a sign. It was a professionally printed sign that, uh, that literally said, you must be 42 inches tall to ride this slide, dot, dot, dot. And then at the bottom of the sign, it said, not that tall yet? That's okay. Grab a buddy who is. I was like, this is amazing. This is going to be such a fun water park. And uh, so, so we get there, and my oldest daughter, Raleigh, um, she's naturally just very timid with uh, trying new things. And uh, that first day, when it came to getting her on a water slide, uh, whether it was the smallest or the biggest, I mean, she would just not have it. She was not interested in any way riding these slides. And it didn't matter how much coaxing or manipulation or bribery, she just would not do it at all. Uh, But the second day, something changed. For some reason, she worked up enough courage to go up one of the water slides. And she didn't pick the baby water slide, she actually went to one of the very tallest. And so I said, okay, you're going to do the slide, I'm going to go to the bottom, I'll be at the bottom when you get out. And her mom, Angela, uh, walked up the stairs with her. And this was, it was so fun to watch this because she's climbing these stairs. 
And she's just going higher and higher and higher. And I'm watching from below, and she's almost to the very top, and she's getting ready to step onto the platform. And at the moment that she steps onto the platform, guess what she does? She looks down. <laughs> she looks down. And you can imagine what happens. She loses it. I mean, she, loses, she just starts crying, and she is a mess. She's trying to back up. Angela's stopping her. She, refu- you know, she basically just then plants herself. She sat down on the step and refused to budge another foot. And at that point, I'm thinking, what's going to happen now? Like, well, how is this going to turn out? And she's got her, like, she's in a ball. She's got her arms locked around her legs. And uh, gosh, what happened next was actually really beautiful. I, uh, I'm watching from down below, and all of a sudden, Angela, she just, she stoops down right next to Wally. And I see her just start talking to her. And she's talking, and she's talking, and she's talking. And I'm, you know, I mean, like five minutes go by, six minutes, seven. And I'm like, she is up there for, like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. She just keeps talking to her. And I'm wondering, what is going to go, what's going to happen here? And then all of a sudden, I see Raleigh stand up. And she just walks right over to the platform. She sits down on the side and whew, right down the slide. Comes right out of the bottom. I'm there to catch her. She is ecstatic. She's squealing. She had so much fun. She's like giving me a huge hug. And it's so exciting. And she just, she's like, okay, Dad, bye. Right back up the stairs to do it again over and over the rest of the day. Well, later that day, I, I asked her, I said, hey, Raleigh, I said, hey, like, what changed your mind up there? I, you know, like, you got to tell me, like, like, what made you decide to do it? And, uh, and what she said, I, I was literally so amazed. She said, well, you know, like I just got up there, and it was like really high, and I, I got really scared, and I started crying. I was like, I know, I know, I saw it. We all saw it. The whole park saw it, you know. She goes, yeah, yeah, I got, I got really scared, but Mommy and I talked about it, and, uh, and then I decided to do it. I said, oh, okay. And naturally, well, I mean, what's the next thing you do? Like, what did Mommy say to you? Like, what was it that she said that convinced you? And she said, uh, well, you know, she just told me it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be scared. Because water slides are kind of scary, and we don't have to pretend like this is not scary. I'm like, really? Like, that's really beautiful. She's like, yeah. I was like, man, that's what like, made you go down the slide? She's like, well, she said that. And then she said, then she said, you know, it's kind of like when I was in the hospital getting ready to push you out of myself. That was really scary. And I go, oh, <laughs> she said that. Like, yep. Uh, she goes, but you told her it's okay to be scared, and that made her feel better, and then uh, I decided to go down the slide. I was like, okay, that's weird, but, uh, you know, Angela told me later that night, she said, you know what, I just really didn't want to go back down those stairs, and that was the best thing I had in the moment, uh, but it worked, and, uh, and she did it, but uh, you know what, I, the reason why I tell you that is, like, seriously, um, it has become such a common refrain in our home to say, it's okay to be afraid. It is okay to be afraid all the time. We say this all the time in our home. Why? Because our kids face scary things almost every single day of their lives. And I want them to know it's okay to be afraid. Like, it is okay. You don't have to pretend. Because here's the thing. Some of you right now, like, you're going through really legitimately scary things at this very moment. Some of you right now, you think about your job or your lack of job or the lack of security around your job, and maybe there's just a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of, a lot of unpredictability, and, and, and you're not sure what things are going to look like in the next few months or even the next few weeks, and that's really scary, isn't it? I mean, it's your health. Gosh, I feel like this year, there have been so many different episodes in the life of our church family of really, really frightening health concerns. And you've met with doctors, and you've done all the tests, and you've done the waiting and waiting and waiting, and that's really scary too, isn't it? For those of you who are parents or soon-to-be parents or foster parents or adoptive parents, we've got so many types of parents in our church. I love it. 
But the weird thing about being a parent that nobody ever really tells you, I know a lot of you aren't parents in this room, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, since nobody really tells most parents this as they sign up for being a parent, is that part of being a parent is that you're regularly forced to make decisions, like really important decisions on behalf of your kid that you have absolutely no expertise in. It's terribly frightening. And that's just like day after day after day. And that's really scary. And with every year that your kids grow up, there's a little bit more of letting them go. And, and, and then they tend to have to make those decisions for themselves. And that's really scary. I mean, some of you right now, you, I, I think about our church and that's so many of you right now, really, you're trying to follow Jesus so faithfully. I mean, I know you want your life to be all about knowing God and following God and trusting God and enjoying God. And you even have all kinds of other people in your life that you want to include in on that. And sometimes that just means like there's really scary things that are put before us, right? Like some of the conversations that you have to have with friends, some of the frightening talks that you have to have with people that you really love. Maybe that's family members, maybe that's roommates. And deep down, if you're anything like me, I mean, I think a lot of us know, if we're going to really put it all on the line for Jesus, to go wherever, wherever he would call us, to do whatever he would ask of us, I mean, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Some of you just need to hear, I think, tonight, it's okay to be afraid. Are you afraid right now? That's okay. Listen, listen, friends, foundational to our belief as followers of Jesus is that this world is a fallen, sinful, scary place. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. In fact, the very presence of fear reflects our need for Jesus to be born. That's why Mary and Joseph, gosh, the more that I just, I, I studied this passage this week and was soaking in this, gosh, they are such an enormous encouragement to me. Isn't it incredible? You've got to understand, it's so many practical points of application as you look at uh, what Mary and Joseph do here. Think about it. They will be the parents of the Messiah. They were handpicked by God the Father to raise Jesus, God the Son, to parent him, to care for him from the moment that he was born in a manger all the way to the day that he would walk to the cross for our sin. Yet, yet, despite being handpicked by God himself, they are never excused from the really scary things of life and faith. You see that? Even the parents of Jesus Christ, they will walk through some of the most frightening endeavors this world has to offer. We'll see that a lot in the next couple weeks. And that reality, I think... That reality gives us permission to be about the, uh, honest about the reality of our own world today, that there are a lot of reasons to be scared. There are a lot of reasons to be afraid. And so, if, first of all, tonight, if that's how you feel right now, you need to hear it's okay to be afraid. Let me ask you something. When you think about your life, and when you think about some of the frightening things that you've either walked through in the past or maybe you're walking through right now as we speak, wouldn't you just love for God to audibly speak? Like in the moment, show up and tell you what you exactly need to hear. Like wouldn't that be amazing? Like right now, for, for, you know, you go home tonight and you're just scared about something and there's something stressing you out and you're anxious. Wouldn't it be amazing for God to show up Speak directly to you in that moment uh, concerning your greatest fear. Now, let me ask you something else. If that happened, what would you want God to say? What would you hope God would say to you? Would you want him just to say like, hey, hey, hey don't worry about this. I'll, everything's going to turn out just fine in the next five years. Would you want him to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that really scary thing you're dealing with right now, like, just give it a few more weeks and everything will be back to normal. Like, what would you want him to say to you in those moments? 
Here's how I'm going to fix all of your circumstances. Here's how everything's going to turn out. Well, you know what's really interesting here? What Matthew gives us is this story. Here's this guy, Joseph, in a really frightening situation. He's in the midst of wrestling through that fear and figuring out what to do, and God actually does show up. And he does show up, and he speaks directly to him. But what's so incredible about all this, we'll see this in just a second, what's so incredible about all of it is, gosh, what happens? Well, not only calm Joseph's deepest fears, it also become the greatest source of hope for Joseph. You know what this is? You know what happens? It's not God laying out this detailed plan or, or guaranteeing a change in circumstances. No. You know what it is? It's the promise of his presence. Isn't that incredible? The greatest source of hope for Joseph is hearing God say, I am going to be with you. Look how Matthew continues this account. Verse 19. He says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph, it's clear here, he's really trying to be gracious to Mary, he's trying to protect her. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, meaning he's still trying to figure this all out, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in dreams, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love it. I mean, it's amazing. At the very moment here that Joseph is trying to figure all this out, and he's asking, what do I even do? At that very moment, God audibly speaks to Joseph through a dream. And what does he say? He's actually going to tell him two things. First starts in verse 20. Joseph, son of David, what does he say? Do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. What he's saying is, Joseph, I know what you're thinking. And I know what you're about to do. And I know that you're scared. But I'm here to tell you that you don't have to be. Why? Why does he say that? You know, going back to what I said just a moment ago about being a parent... And dealing with the fears of your children. See, at this point in my life as a parent, um, I, I recognize that there are certain times and there are certain things um, that I can address before my kids, honestly. There, there are times when I'm able to kind of confront my kids when they are afraid. And I, I'm able to say to them, like, I understand that you're afraid. And it's okay to be afraid. But you don't have to be afraid. Does that make sense? There are times in the life of my kids where I understand that they're afraid. And I can say to them, I understand that you're afraid. It's okay to be afraid, but you don't have to be afraid. I'll give you an example. When my kids are, are complaining that it's dark in here, or I just had a bad dream, or maybe something like, I have to perform on stage and that's scary. Here's the reality. Uh, because I am their dad, I'm able to see things that they might not be able to see, right? Because I'm their dad, I'm able to know certain things that they might not be able to yet know. And as their dad, I'm able to kind of come to them and tell them, like, hey, I know there's nothing in your room right now. I know uh, there are no monsters under your bed right now. I know that uh, even if you mess up on stage, everybody's going to think you're absolutely adorable. In fact, for some reason, they think you're more adorable when you mess up. That's just the beauty of being a kid when you perform, right? Believe it or not. You know, 
I recognize I have a certain vantage point because I'm your dad. That's why in the face of scary things, I can say, here's why you don't have to be afraid. Now, if that's true for me as an earthly dad, as a finite, limited, less than perfect earthly dad, what does that mean when God, our Father, the infinite, the limitless, the omniscient, the the omnipotent heavenly Father tells you, do not be afraid? You see, he knows we have every single reason in the world to be scared. But the reason why he can legitimately say you don't have to be afraid is because he sees what we cannot see. He knows what we do not know. We're running around scared and panicked and so anxious about all the many details of our lives and how it's going to turn out, all for good reason. He's sitting. He's resting on his throne. Not because he's lazy or indifferent or doesn't care. No. No, it's because he has a certain vantage point. And from his perspective, when he looks down on our situation as one who knows the end from the very beginning, he sees all and knows all, he is confidently able to say, you do not need to be afraid. And he is the one person who actually has the authority to make that claim. Isn't that incredible? Like, isn't that really good news for us today? Guys, the, the most beautiful thing about the Christmas story, um, the most beautiful thing about the Christmas story is not like the cute little manger or the cute little animals that come around the manger. In fact, I think that's probably the most horrible part of the whole story. You ask any woman if she wants to be, give birth in a barn with a cow in the room, and I'm pretty sure we know the answer to that, right? No, the most beautiful thing about the Christmas story is God coming close. It's God seeing our hopeless situation. The reality of our fallen condition It's God seeing our greatest need. And it's him even recognizing our greatest need is not just peace on earth and goodwill towards all men. All those things matter and they're part of the Christmas story. No, he sees our greatest need is himself. It's him. And rather than remaining distant or just staying there on his throne, I mean, you realize he could have done that. You realize he could have fixed everything in this world with a snap of the finger without even moving, Right? What does he do? He decides to leave his home. He decides to leave his throne and enter into the mess of our lives. And he does this in the most humble, human way possible. He's born as a baby. He puts on flesh. And he will then endure the human experience perfectly for our sake. Jesus was fully man, meaning he was able to fully sympathize with all of our weaknesses and all of our fears and all of the anxieties that we face as men and women, yet he does so without sin because he's fully and truly God as well. See, friends, here's the good news tonight. God with us, Emmanuel, like that was never intended to be some vague, thoughtless cliche or song that we sing during this time of the year not really understanding what that means. No, God with us. That was, and that still is today, it's a promise. It's the promise of God's presence in us. A promise so powerful that it's intended to calm every fear that you experience and quiet every heart before our King. You know, I thought about this a lot, even just this past week as I've been studying and preparing and just thinking about what is it that I need to say, what is it that I want to say, and I feel like, you know, a lot of times throughout this past week, I just stopped, and I just 
put the computer away, and I, and I just started praying and just asking God, what is it that our people need to hear and believe tonight? What is it that I need to hear and to believe tonight? There's something about the Christmas story that is so familiar. Even if you didn't grow up in church, there's something that just, it becomes so common. We sentimentalize it so much that it's so easy to miss what God is trying to accomplish in this story for our hearts. And so this week, as I just prayed through this and just meditated on this, I just, I feel like I recognize the reality that so many of you, even in the last couple of weeks, like this has been a really, really hard season. Like a number of you have walked through really extraordinarily difficult things. Some of you have suffered much. Some of you have questioned much. Some of you have just, in, in many ways, maybe experienced the darkest of days. And I think this is why the Christmas story matters so much for us. This is why the Christmas story brings such hope to our lives today. In fact, as I was thinking about that this week, um, like one of the things that I, I actually did this week to just practically try to encourage my own heart and practically remind myself of God's goodness is um, I grabbed a three-by-five card. If you're part of the summit or been here a while, you know that this is one of the things that Brian, one of our other pastors, loves to do. And so I, I decided to copy this practice and do it myself. In fact, I was over at Brian's house last night and uh, watching the greatest movie, Christmas movie of all time, Home Alone. And, uh, and as we were cleaning up, I actually found like little three-by-five cards from Romans uh, scattered through his basement. I loved it. But uh, this week, I wrote, I wrote a couple of things down on this card that I felt like I just wanted to encourage my heart and my soul um, during this Advent season to be reminded of what truly matters and what's most important. So I wanted to share this tonight as we close this is what I wrote at the top of this card. I said, I don't have to be afraid today because. I wrote a few, couple, a few different things here. First, I don't have to be afraid today because, first, God has come close to me. God has come close to me. Yeah, I'm just reminded as I read through this story and think about the first Christmas, the birth of Christ. I'm just reminded really practically, we have a very good father. We have a good father who loves us deeply, and he is not cold and distant, but he has come close. Like He's recognized our deep need for him. He has heard the cries of his children. He has, he has heard us in our weakness, and he has not left us to our own devices, but he has come close, like a good dad does. And you know, I just thought about that in my own life. Like when I'm a less than perfect dad and when my imperfections show through, like I'm reminded in those moments, I'm reminded that Christmas is like, thank God I don't have to be perfect. Like thank God my responsibility as a father is never to like put perfection on display, but only to point my kids to the one who is the perfect dad, our father in heaven. And Christmas is just that reminder of that. I love that. And so God has come close to me. Secondly, I don't have to be afraid today because... Jesus experienced the worst of this world in every possible way. Jesus experienced the worst of this world in every possible way. I probably should add to that. He experienced the worst of this world in every possible way for me. Like he knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to have to endure through really, really hard things. I mean, the reality is, 
everything that I've ever experienced or will experience, Jesus has experienced himself and more. And above and beyond that, not only has he experienced those things, he's actually conquered those things. Isn't that incredible? Like all the fears that we face in life, all the struggles that we face in life, all the challenges that we will face in life, Jesus has not only endured those things, but he has conquered those very things on our behalf so that we do not actually have to be afraid today. That's what Christmas is all about. That is the beauty of the Christmas story, that Jesus, he enters into the human story, he enters into history, he breaks into it as a baby born in a manger, going to the cross so that we do not yet have to be afraid anymore. That is really good news for us this season. Jesus, he knows what it's like to suffer great loss. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to lose his best friends. Like, that should be a comfort to us during this time, because not only has he endured those things, but he's conquered them for us. Finally, I don't have to be afraid today, because I believe he does go before me, and he is with me. He does go before me, and he is with me. I just want to really live like that's true. You know, I, I really want to believe that the Lord God himself is alive today, and he is going before me, and he is within me. I mean, can you imagine, friends, just, can you imagine, like, even just how this week would be transformed for you if you believed that deeply? And with every interaction, with every meeting that you stepped into, with every conversation or hard conversation that you had to have this week. I mean, if you just believed, hey, the Lord is going before me and the Lord is in me, the living God, the spirit of the living God resides within us if we are in Christ. Gosh, I mean, I feel like I've been trying to practice that over the last several weeks and believe that. I mean, even this morning and today and tonight, like walking on stage and getting ready to teach the Bible to you guys, my prayer was that very thing. Like, God, I want to believe that you've gone before me here, like preparing the hearts of men and women in this room in our city. Like believing that the, the Spirit of God is alive within me. Like this is not me, but this is him. And my encouragement to you during this Christmas season, if, if you could believe that, like the Lord goes before you. The Lord resides within you. He has chosen to make his home in you. If that is true, how would that wildly transform the way that you do life this week? Trusting and believing in the omnipotent, omniscient, kind and compassionate God who loves you deeply. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for Christmas. God, we thank you for this entire season of Advent, a time that as we wait as a time as we look to you to be the one who delivers on your promises. Lord, that we'd be reminded of how faithful you are towards us. God, even the recognition that you are, you are so faithful to us even when we're faithless towards you. That you are a kind and compassionate father who loves us so deeply as your children. And because of that, we don't have to be afraid. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight who are walking through really scary situations, who are just afraid, who are frightened because of all the different things this world throws at them. And On one hand, God, I pray that they would recognize it's okay to be scared. And this is a safe place to be able to express those fears. 
But God, at the same time, I pray that your spirit that is more powerful than any fear we ever face. God, I pray your spirit would just be active right now in this very time, casting away fear, helping us to look to you, looking to your face, Jesus, as our Savior and as our King, one who loves us so deeply, and you've demonstrated that through the Christmas story all the way to the cross. God, I pray we would believe that. I pray that would change us. I pray this, way, this week we would walk in that, that we would have the, the trust and the faith, the belief that you are who you say you are, you've done what you said you've done, and you will do what you say you will do. God, let us be a people that deeply, deeply believe that. I pray that that builds within us an unshakable confidence that we are yours. God, we love you. We know that you love us even more. You love us so much. We thank you for that. And we pray that we would just receive that tonight. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.